Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. How much money do you need to be wealthy? How much money do you need to have access to wealth management? Jim Krizan believes wealth management is not just for the affluent few, but rather for individuals at every stage of life so they can make informed decisions about their financial futures. I'm Patrice Sikora. Jim, is there any truth to the perception that wealth management is only for the truly wealthy? And why do you think it's important for you to debunk that thinking? Well, I, I certainly think that I, I can see where the misconception comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, Unfortunately, there, there are very few avenues for, for folks who are starting out or accumulating to be able to find competent uh, advice. And uh, a lot of that might have to do with the, the firm, the industry, how revenue is generated. It's usually off of some type of a um, asset-based model. And as a result, many firms will set some limit, uh, usually a very high limit uh, as to the amount of investable assets one needs to have before they can engage with a, a, a wealth management firm. And I, I've always had a problem with, with that uh, because I, I believe that everybody should be entitled to the, the best retirement they can have. Everybody should have the biggest, boldest retirement. And it's not just for the wealthy. In fact, I would argue that in the, the real scheme of things, when you consider that your success in retirement is going to be a function of so many unrelated decisions that one makes along their life that somebody who has great means can in many ways uh, be, let's say, less effective in how they handle many of these decisions. Uh, in fact, they can be flat out wrong or ineffective on many of these things, and they'll just be perfectly fine. Somebody with less means, maybe they were compromised because they had to leave work early to take care of a, a loved one, or maybe they were engineered out of a position and their, their career ended abruptly and perhaps at a shorter or a younger age than they would have, would have hoped. And they don't have quite as much as they thought they would have accumulated in, in that case. All these decisions that have to be made, uh, when do you take social security? What do you do with pension? How are the assets allocated? How much money can you really pull out to support lifestyle? They're vastly more important for people who have, let's say, compromised means. And, and as a result, we wanted to make sure that we had the ability to deliver financial advice, deliver investment advice regardless of where a client is on this this retirement continuum. 
Yeah. But okay. So well, what's with the other firms though? Are you just a nice guy? You're going to work with everybody or have you found out a way to make it work as a business model and for the clients? Well, I think I'm a nice guy, <laughs> I, but I think that's beside the point. I think uh, if you look at our, our, our the way we conduct business these days, it's certainly different than the way we conducted business 30 or 40 years ago. And, and to a large degree, the way we conduct business today, the services we provide, the ability to be able to help folks that are starting out, new job, young graduate, et cetera, it all goes back to our original mission, which is, hey, we're in the business to support and provide bigger, bolder retirements for individuals who manufacture, engineer, design modes of technology within the mobility technology space. And, and over time, you know, we were working with folks who were getting ready to retire. And then it dawned on us that the biggest bucket of money sitting there that needs help and attention is generally the money that's being accumulated within corporate plans. So why don't we develop services and programs where we can provide ongoing active management of these resources? And we did that back in 1995. That's brilliant. Yeah. And, and then uh, we, we realized that many of our clients who have worked with us for a long time now will come to us and say, hey, you know what? My daughter just graduated from U of M. She's got an electrical engineering degree. She's starting work for the first time. Can you have one of your people sit down with her and kind of help her out? So obviously, here's a person who really doesn't have any accumulated wealth. In fact, one would argue that she probably has a negative net worth mm -hmm. uh, when you consider uh, student I'll loans and those things, right? And she would not be somebody who would be on the radar screen for most wealth management firms, just does not have the minimum assets accumulated. So we thought about that for a long time and said, well, look, we can create a, a subscription model where for a, a monthly fee, we can have engagement with a competent wealth manager within our team. And, and, and we can help uh, that individual with a lot of those really critical decisions that they have to make at that point in time. So a lot of the services that we develop are services from the perspective of where is there friction in our clients' lives in this case, concerned about making sure that their children are getting a good start. In other cases, you know, we have clients who will leave work uh, from, a, from a large corporation, and then they will decide to do some consulting, uh, working independently. And we started getting more and more clients who would bring to us these questions about you know, what, what, what do I do in terms of retirement savings? Cause I no longer have a 401k. What do I do with respect to disability insurance? Cause I'm still working, but I left all the group benefits behind. So we kind of created a, a package, a service for people that are in transition, moving from full employment as a W2 employee to either self-employment or as a 1099 consultant. Why? Because our clients needed it. So a lot of the services that we've developed is really much less the fact that we're nice people. It's the fact that how can we create greater value in the services we provide? How can we enhance the relationship 
by being able to take care of our clients in many other aspects of life and make sure that we're taking care of their families at, 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 a, uh, at a very high level. So clients, adult children, in fact, in many cases, we, we work with their aged parents, their you know, mom and dads. And we also kind of structure uh, a lot of the, the advisory fees now at a family level. So that provides reduction in fees that, that uh, are, are quite significant compared to if every individual within the family were to contract with us or, or some other firm. So we, we try to drive value that way as well. All right. This is a suite of services you seem to be offering. I want to understand more and I want the listeners to understand more too. What do you mean by offering these options and aligning resources and needs? We, we feel that the, uh, the journey to retirement and, and beyond is just that. It's a, it's a journey. And there's, as I said before, ebbs and flows. And we'll get into this in a minute, but there's particular periods of time in one's career growth in one's wealth development, uh, where, where certain issues or questions or concerns start to pop up, or certain things should be considered at that point in time. So what, what we've, we've done is we've developed services or, or compensation models that will allow us to be able to front-face clients at, at various walks in life that are that are in many cases decades removed from the retirement event what am i going to do with my 401k which is where everybody's at it, I, I find it humorous when i look at other advisory firms websites and when you look at their niche they are 401k rollover experts so it's like yeah you know you make it We'll spend it. We'll spend it. But, but, but uh, you know, come and see me when you're ready to retire. Uh, and, and I think, boy, there's a lot of things you could talk to clients about. There's a lot of things that you can help clients with uh, along the way. So we've, we've, uh, we've developed services uh, that will allow us to align our resources and, and, and our uh, professional staff with what a, a client may need and what resources the client may have available. So the idea is in some cases, the client doesn't need a, a very formalized engagement where we're going to meet twice a year. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They might simply need, Hey, I like you to manage money. And I like to make sure that you're the backstop. If I've got any questions, I've got a competent advisor that I'm developing a relationship with that I can pose those questions to who can then help me. So instead of as a firm, we're driving an agenda. We need to be doing this. We need to be considering this. For some people, as they're accumulating and at the earlier stages of accumulation, they might not necessarily need that, but rather they, they want to know, hey, I am developing a relationship with this firm. There is an individual who we, we, we talk to who I know is my go-to person who I can pose those questions to. And I feel much better about doing that than grabbing my phone and Googling something. Mm. So here's a situation where you don't necessarily need the full extent and, and, and full capacity and capability 
that the firm may have. And as a result, is there a way to be able to scale that and, and scale it from a price point as well that makes sense to be able to deliver that to a person who doesn't necessarily need full-on wealth management? Uh, the same is true for aspects of wealth. We have a, a subscription model, as I said, that will give our young clients, you know, Henry's, high earners, not rich yet, who might not have much money at all accumulated. Uh, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done on debt reduction and, and starting to accumulate assets. And, and there needs to be an engagement. Well, you really can't do that on a traditional asset management model where we're charging a fee on assets, but we can certainly do it on the standpoint of time, or we can certainly do it on the standpoint of subscription for a, a low monthly fee as an example, you will have this engagement. And, and to a large degree, you know what we found is um, the, the younger generation, as somebody who's now probably the older generation, everything is the younger generation, but they really don't necessarily need an advisor. Mom and dad have an advisor. What they need is a coach. So we position ourselves as their financial coach. I like that. As their, as their wealth coach. Yeah. That's what they need. They need a check-in every once in a while. Here are the deliverables. Here are the skills. Here are the things you need. We don't need to take over and do everything for you. But at that point, when your wealth accumulates to a point, you say, hey, I don't think I should be fiddling with this anymore then you know we're here and it's not a new relationship. We've developed that and grown that. And, and there's a level of trust now that there wouldn't have been if at that point you start to hire somebody essentially off the street. So that's generally how we do it. And we have, as an example, another subscription model, which uh, just deals with 401k management. If somebody just wants us to help with the allocation and, and generally the tax efficiency of saving within a 401k, we can do that. And it's active, meaning we can go in, we can take a look at where they are. And as a result, we can come back with advice and suggestions real time on the fly, regularly looking at this, which is entirely different than, hey, you're coming in for your annual review. Patrice, make sure you're bringing in a copy of your 401k. I want to kind of look at it making an adjustment from a tax perspective, tax efficient savings, how much is pre-tax, after-tax, are we funding Roth, are we doing something else? That has to be done and that has to be manipulated on a regular recurring basis, especially if your employer is contributing money to the plan and if you get a bonus because there might be an opportunity to save or defer some of that as well. So in many cases, within that service model, we're reaching out to our clients multiple times a year because of the decision points that need to be made with respect to funding a 401k. When we look at comprehensive planning, it's truly comprehensive. I mean, we want to look at the stuff you've accumulated outside of work, stuff you've accumulated as a result of prior employers, uh, but we also want to look at everything you're doing within and make sure we have a unified game plan that's going to get you to the promised land as quickly and efficiently as possible. 
And you've mentioned the management of the 401k in a previous episode. So listeners, make sure you go back and check that out. This sounds like a great long journey toward wealth creation. But uh, tell me about these categories you have, these five stages you've identified to help people with. So when we look at wealth management, a, a, a lot of advisors, advisory firms will say, hey, we, we work with ultra high net worth or we work with high net worth. Well, the presumption is either they've inherited it or they've already grown it. Effectively, the assets have already been developed. But if we really look, again, going back to our niche, these are hardworking, bright people who are, are, are uh, certainly technical and they spend a career developing their wealth. And it would go to reason that along the way, there are tremendous decision points that need to be made. So what we've done is we've just simply taken this journey of 30 to 40 years and kind of broke it up into five sections. And it, it's not scientific, it's not exact, but it generally gives us a, a roadmap on what are the things that we should be talking about? What are the conversations we should have here? Because after doing this 40 years, we know other clients within the same age group, within the same career position within their career growth. These are the questions and concerns they've had. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that we need to be thinking about outside of stocks and bonds that, that are concerning them and how can we deliver additional value? As an example, we talked about uh, a client's uh, child. Yeah, you know, th those folks we call foundation builders. And think of that as anybody who you know, gets their first job, graduates from school, and it might cover the age group of 18 to 30. Uh, and again, th this is loose and it might be more or it might be less. I'm thinking of my children and uh, I would say that both of my kids uh, are kind of in that category still, uh, even though my daughter is maybe a few years beyond age, age 30. And, and they're, they're starting out, you know, they, they're, they're buying their first home. Right. And imagine the, the questions that they have concerning their home. I know my daughter had questions. Uh, should I, how much should I put down? Mm -hmm. uh, should I buy a, a should I uh, use a 30-year a or a 15-year? And, and that's incredibly important. Somebody who has, let's say, unstable employment, they're employed, but it's somewhat unstable you know, you probably want to lean toward a 30-year mortgage as opposed to a 15. Sure, the 15 looks cheaper. It's a few, it's 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 an eighth to a quarter of a point generally cheaper than uh, than a 30-year, but it also comes with a 40% higher payment. Mm -hmm. And 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 for a young person, they might find out one day that they're on one income temporarily. And boy, that 15-year mortgage is going to be quite stressful. Whereas the 30-year provides a lower payment for longer, easier to plan, and we can always add additional payments down the road to shrink the, the retirement of that. The other question is about student loans. We, we've seen way too many times somebody whose thought is, I'm going to work really hard, save really hard, and put all that money toward retiring student loans, 
And then when I get the loans retired, I'm really going to start getting serious about um, Retire. putting money. Right? Yeah, right, right. And and what will happen is they get started in their career and uh, five years goes by and they've yet to really put any money away. And if you think about money and how many years it takes for money to compound, you know, if if it takes you five or seven years before you really start getting serious and start, you may very well miss a full a, a full doubling of assets 30, 40 years down the road. Doesn't seem like a big deal at the time you're making the decision, but it has a huge compounded effect. Some of those are good. Some of those compounded effects are, are bad. So we, we, we try to look at that. I know that uh, when my son uh, got his first job, I really had to talk him into the idea of, of, of disability insurance. You know, here's a young guy. Why? But disability insurance protects the, the goose that lays the golden eggs. And it's really important to consider that. And somebody who's quite young in their 20s probably wouldn't consider the importance of that as much. So having a sounding board to be able to discuss these things is incredibly important. And then when you move from that phase, you move into what we call wealth uh, accumulators. Here, you're really starting to put some, some money away. You may very well be starting a family. And at that point, there's a whole myriad of other questions. The, is the plan now adjusted and changed? Has your cash flow been modified? Because you now have to deal with daycare, and that's a huge drawdown on your resources. Do you start putting money away for retirement? And if so, where and, and how much? Should we, should we start um, looking at uh, diversity amongst our savings? Because up till now, most of the savings probably has been within the employer plan uh, that you now have been working with or working with the firm for five or, or more years. And then when we get beyond that, we get into wealth creators. They're, we're not just accumulating, but now we're seeing increases in their wealth coming from the returns on the assets they've already accumulated. So the wealth is really starting to, to, to accumulate. And here, we may be looking at opportunities to reduce debt. Uh, we may be talking about tax efficiencies. Uh, we certainly would be talking about triangulation, which I've talked about before on a previous episode. Mm -hmm placing money within different buckets based on the tax encumbrance of those buckets. Vastly important, maybe not so much then, but certainly down the road. Also, these are individuals who are now probably mid-career. So there may very well be some discussion of changing jobs, moving from one employer to another, or changing careers altogether. Uh, those things certainly have, uh, have come up. We may very well uh, start looking at things like, um, we, we refer to it as a financial fire drill. As you're developing retirement planning and those types of things, there are questions about life insurance and how much you should have or shouldn't have. And as the kids are getting older, do you need as much? So we, we like to run retirement analyses, assuming uh, that one and then the other spouse passes away prematurely. And, and can the surviving spouse with the resources we expect be able to maintain a similar retirement? You don't want to be in a position where you find out that upon the death of one, we're severely compromised. Thanks. So 
having an, an, an idea that there may be an issue, it's a great time at that point, mid-career, to start fixing those problems. And then we, we move into the stage that we call wealth enhancers. And these are people that are pre-retirement, getting close to retirement. And I say wealth enhancers because in addition to everything they're doing, we now need to start having discussions about other resources they have. Pension, how might we deal with that? How is that factored into the equation? It may very well be that the pension you thought you had when you first were employed many years ago has been compromised and reduced and the formula has been uh, affected. So the benefit you receive might be significantly less. Uh, we've certainly dealt with that within the automotive industry. Folks who hired in uh, 35, 40 years ago had a pension that was vastly superior uh, to the dollar amount that they're retiring right. off on because there've been three different iterations and a bankruptcy along the way. All those things come to play. We might need to start talking about social security decisions and do we have the liquidity or do we need to create the liquidity within the portfolio to allow one to delay taking social security to enhance their retirement down the road. Post-retirement healthcare, is your healthcare covered by your employer? Is there a gap between the time you want to retire and the time you expect Medicare to kick in? And what's the cost of that? And, and have we factored that in properly with respect to the retirement plan? There's a myriad of things that we would talk about there that we certainly wouldn't talk about to a 22-year-old electrical engineering graduate. And then the last stage is what we would call family stewards. And a family steward is someone who's accumulated sizable wealth. They're older. They may very well be retired. And they may very well be on the cusp of required minimum distributions. So there's all kinds of things that we should talk about there. Legacy. Are they interested in using this RMD that they may or may not need? And look at moving some of that money into college education funds for grandchildren. Is there a charitable intent? Can we do um, qualified charitable deductions from the IRA in lieu of RMD that'll provide some efficiency and, and still cover their, their charitable intent? We, we usually talk about, in some cases, family meetings. Uh, do we need to get the generations together and, and talk about what this wealth will look like and, and how best to treat this wealth? And, and at the same time, um, we're, we're also structuring portfolios a, a little bit differently. Maybe, maybe tax-free income or municipal bonds uh, might be a bit more important at that point. Or maybe the family steward has decided, you know, there's some wealth here. There's a bucket of assets here that I absolutely don't expect I'll ever need. And my intent is to pass that on to my children who might very well be in their mid-30s to mid-40s. So instead of having that portfolio be structured more along the lines of someone who is in their mid-70s, that portfolio can be restructured that would be more appropriate for somebody in their mid-30s because this 75-year-old mm -hmm. is never going to need it. And as a result, that's going to create incredibly more wealth 
over the next several decades before it's actually uh, inherited to the next generation. So there's a lot of really interesting discussions that we can have with just about anyone at any point in time in this wealth accumulation. And imagine what the difference would be if the only time you engage with an advisor is when you're on the cusp of retiring. And all those other decisions that are incredibly important and will have a dramatic impact down the road, you just kind of yeah. handle it as they come. <laughs> or I did what everybody else in the shop did. Or my brother-in-law told me this, that, or the other. I suspect the outcome is dramatically different. It makes so much sense. Everything builds on the beginning. So what do you say to those people who come around and say, yeah, I, I'm special. I don't want to work with someone who works with everyone. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a little bit biased there because we, we really love working with engineers and scientists and people with mo mobility technology. I, I dig them. I know where they're coming from. I understand their, their, their uh, affinity toward processing. I tend to be fairly analytical as well. Um, when I look at my my clientele and I look at the uh, attributes that are necessary to be a very good engineer, uh, think outside of the box, be analytical, be a problem solver. Essentially, the those qualities line up very well with our qualities as well. So uh, in that case, we, we can certainly apply uh, a lot of the services, deliverables, techniques to everyone. That said, we really prefer to work with people within our niche. And I think that there is a, a difference. And, and the difference is, as I mentioned before, if you really deeply understand the niche, in this case, who are our clients? Where do they live? Where do they work? What are the resources that they have available based on where they work? What are the friction points involved in their lives? And what are some of the services that we have or that we can create to help reduce that friction? I think the outcome, the experience is that much greater. And it would be, I don't want to say it's impossible, but I certainly think it would be very difficult to have an advisory firm who is just quite general who will apply the strategies and techniques and whatever else to anyone who meets their criteria. Because I, I think that the, um, the largeness of their practice as it relates to walks of life and where people are coming from is so, so great that it will be quite difficult to develop the 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 deep understanding of of what is going on what are the resources where are the friction points so i i just prefer to be a bit more niche a bit more narrow in our focus but be very deep uh, it's it's fine to be narrow as long as you can be very deep mm -hmm. and i think we we try to be as deep as we possibly can jim you have certainly underscored an important truth that wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone, regardless of assets and stage of life, really does deserve access to competent advice. We learned 
it's crucial to recognize that seemingly insignificant decisions made early in our careers, well, they can have serious consequences later on in life. By prioritizing financial guidance and making informed choices today, we can set ourselves up for success in the future. So take charge of your financial well-being and seek the support you deserve. Remember, it's never too late to start taking steps toward your bigger, bolder retirement. Please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. Share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, too. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. And thank you for tuning into another episode of The Retirement Engineer. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.